you can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From The Australian, here's what's on The Front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Monday, December 4. The Reserve Bank will meet for the last time in 2023 on Tuesday, and record migration is making its job more difficult. A weekly influx of 10,000 international students, working holidaymakers and temporary workers is pushing up rents and home values and putting pressure on services, making it harder for the RBA to get a read on the nation's economic health. Selectors have backed David Warner and Alex Carey for the upcoming Test Cricket Series against Pakistan. Warner's selection comes after retired fast bowler Mitchell Johnson launched a withering attack on the veteran opener's recent form, saying he doesn't deserve a hero send-off. The 14-man Australian squad will face Pakistan in the first test in Perth on December 14. Australia's diabetes epidemic has pushed into a frightening new front. As many as 15% of babies born to mothers with type 2 diabetes are afflicted with serious congenital mutations. In today's episode, we unpack the silent epidemic that's claiming young lives and pushing our public health system to the brink. Malformed kidneys, open spines and even holes in their little hearts. These are the savage congenital mutations presenting in babies born to mothers with type 2 diabetes. And it's a growing problem. Experts estimate that as many as 15% of babies born to mothers with the condition come into the world with one of these afflictions. And the thing is, it's almost entirely preventable. The babies born with congenital defects are a drop in the ocean of Australia's looming diabetes epidemic. Type 2 diabetes occurs when the level of glucose in our blood becomes too high as a result of insulin resistance. Insulin is a hormone that carries glucose to our cells where it's used for energy. But if insulin isn't doing its job, all that glucose hangs around in our bloodstream where it can cause strokes, blindness and kidney disease. The condition is strongly linked to lifestyle factors like diet and activity levels. But it's also fueled by a whole host of socioeconomic factors like access to education, gainful employment and affordable health care. And nowhere is this reality more stark than in central Australia, where the number of people suffering from end-stage kidney disease is triple the highest rates recorded globally. I have worked in many other places in the world. That's Dr Cherian Sajeev, Director of Nephrology at Alice Springs Hospital. But nowhere have I seen the kind of incidence and prevalence of kidney disease for a small population base. About 40% of people living in central Australia have type 2 diabetes, and almost one in every 100 people has end-stage kidney failure. Research shows the number of pregnant women with type 2 diabetes has increased tenfold over the last 30 years. That means more babies are at risk of being born with those congenital defects. But it's not just the incredible number of people requiring dialysis for kidney disease in Central Australia that alarms Dr Sajeev. It's their age too. And for us, it's a huge problem when they start their life on on dialysis. 
the hospital dialysis units are pretty much uh, run almost 24 hours. You can call it a disaster when you have young people transitioning on to dialysis in their 20s and their 30s. Children as young as four years old are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and in many families, multiple generations are receiving the treatment at the same time. It is just extraordinary what is unfolding in Central Australia and the most bizarre thing about it is that this is a disaster in plain sight. Natasha Robinson is the Australian's health editor. She collaborated with reporter Liam Mendez on this investigation into Australia's spiralling diabetes problem. But the rest of the country, by and large, do not know that this is happening. Diabetes is a disease of poverty and low socioeconomic status in every measure, but it's not the only people it affects, but it does hit the poorest citizens of our nation the hardest, and that's right there in front of you in Alice Springs. Natasha and Liam spoke with a number of Alice Springs residents currently receiving treatment for complications from diabetes, as well as their primary caregivers. Well, I guess what was so unusual about this story was the access that we were given. I think the senior clinicians at the front line of this epidemic wanted this story to be published. And the health department recognised, I think, that this is a genuine crisis and it really needed to be told. Every single senior doctor in that hospital is saying this is a crisis in plain sight and openly admitting that their services are overwhelmed. And The reality of that situation is people's lives are at risk. Petrina Wendy's daughter was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at just five years old. A decade later, aged just 15, she would undergo surgery to have one of her kidneys removed. we got to get the kids to stop the diabetes. They'll end up in dialysis. It's not a good life. Julie Klein, a former diabetes educator who is herself receiving dialysis in Alice Springs, lost two children as a result of complications from type 2 diabetes. I've tried really hard, even talking to my family now, you know, the younger people. You know, you don't want to be on that dialysis. It's really hard. No one will look after you. No one will care for you. The silent epidemic ravaging Central Australia is a warning. The number of Australians living with type 2 diabetes quadrupled between 1990 and 2019. And experts estimate that 1 in 12 Australians will be affected by the disease by 2050. That could see life expectancy decrease so significantly that younger generations die earlier than their parents. It's a problem that's overwhelming our already struggling healthcare system. If it's allowed to carry on unchecked, the diabetes epidemic could cost millions of lives and billions of dollars. Well, the projections are very terrifying, really. This is expected to cost the health system around $45 billion a year. And just to put that number in perspective, our current health budget is $100 million, just over $100 million. So that's almost half of the entire health budget. This is a hugely expensive problem. It affects every system in the body. So you're talking about heart disease, you're talking about strokes, you're talking about premature blindness, you're talking about people being disabled from amputations, you're talking about a very, very high level potentially of morbidity from this disease. And this trend of youth diagnosis 
means that we're seeing an entirely different version of this disease unfolding. Very hard to treat, high risk of complications. It's truly shocking. And the reality is that it affects everyone, potentially, who may need the services of a hospital. Coming up after the break, what frontline physicians say we need to get this thing under control. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. Around Australia, arms, legs and feet are locked off with alarming regularity. On average, the amputations performed as a result of complications from type 2 diabetes happen every two hours. Almost all of those procedures, 80%, are preventable. But amputation is a necessary last resort because prevention and management of type 2 diabetes is chronically underfunded and understaffed. Here's health editor Natasha Robinson. We have a situation with our health system where we are funding what some people call a sick care system, not a health care system. So we are pouring money into acute care and what doctors at the front line describe as the ambulances down the bottom of the cliff. But in terms of preventing that flow of complications into our hospitals, we're not funding those services in any way commensurate with need. So Just as an example, the Northern Territory, the hardest hit place in the world, really, on many measures for type 2 diabetes, there is not one Commonwealth-funded prevention program, not one. The percentage of our health budget that we spend on prevention in Australia is really small in comparison to other countries. It's partly a symptom of the structure of our health funding systems. We're in a federation, so the costs are split between Commonwealth and state. But in terms of prevention, it's not clear whose responsibility it is. It's really, really hard to get that funding. Research funding for diabetes and obesity has almost quartered in the last 10 years. These problems are not high order priorities for research funding even. And at the same time, we're having these rising level of complications in this diabetes crisis. We've got a workforce crisis in primary care. For instance, in the Northern Territory, in the latest year for their GP training program, they had 14 acceptances out of a possible 60 places. So you can just see those numbers falling off a cliff. Where specialist diabetes clinics have been established, wait lists have blown out to be almost four years long in some cases. Even if people diagnosed with type 2 diabetes can get in to see a specialist, they often can't afford the medicine they need to manage the condition. You're finding people right across the country in major cities just can't actually afford to go to the doctor. So even if the doctors are there and available, unless you're a pensioner, you're hit with an average $40 gap fee. A lot of people just can't pay it. And even if they go to the doctor and they get a script, they can't afford the medicines. So they are literally not able to buy these life-saving medicines and end up maybe in hospital with a stroke. Like Doctors have told us that is happening. 
The frontline experts and doctors that Natasha and Liam encountered over the course of this investigation are desperate for action. The one thing that every single person that we have spoken to wants is proper, substantial, recurrent funding for primary preventative healthcare. So not having to beg, borrow and steal for a grant to fund a one-off program that may or may not be funded into the future, but proper recurrent funding. There's all sorts of complex issues tied up with that in terms of the primary care system, but I would suggest a very substantial raise to the Medicare rebate might actually solve quite a few problems with the stroke of a pen. Natasha Robinson is The Australian's health editor. She collaborated with reporter Liam Mendez on this story. You can read their full investigation right now at theaustralian.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.